The following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. gather together on Good Friday, and there are some who don't really know why we would call this Good Friday. They would think of the death of Christ, they would think of the torture of crucifixion, and everything it was meant to be as a, as a capital punishment and a, a torturous deterrent to those in crime. They would think of uh, all of the, the evil accomplished on this day, and they might ask, why is it good? The, the Greek word good is agathos. It's where we get the female name Agatha. And it means divinely good. So when we think of this Friday, we think of it as a divine Friday. It was divine in, in every sense of the word. We who were separated from God and there was nothing we could do about our sin. We couldn't, we couldn't overcome it. We couldn't make ourselves better. We couldn't reach a holy and a perfect and a righteous and a just God. And so what did he do? He divinely became a man. Jesus took on flesh. And he came here that he might pay the ransom for our souls, that he might go to the cross as the redemption for our depravity. And he would pay for us our sin debt and for those of us who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb that's good that's good for us and so we gather here today to remember jesus's death to remember what it means for us in terms of our salvation and everlasting life and to remember that jesus himself put all of this in perspective for us i want to invite your attention to the 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. It's uh, recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John actually records more of the upper room than any of the others. He just doesn't record the actual Lord's Supper portion. But Luke, as he records this, and the reason I've chosen Luke is those of you who have been with us on Sundays throughout this year know that we're studying the kingdom of God. And it's possible that as many times in your life as you've partaken of communion or as many times in your life as you've read over a passage like this, it's possible that you've never really given thought to what Jesus was saying when he changed the meaning of the Passover to the Lord's Supper. So join with me, Luke chapter 22, verse 14. It says, And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table And the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. We're going to continue to read that here in just a moment. But if I were to say to you, if I were to say to you before we read Luke 22, uh, just write down a list of the things that you think Jesus earnestly desires. What What would go on that list as you would think, what is it that Jesus 
earnestly desires. We know from Scripture that he desires that every one of us come to salvation. It's not his will that any should perish, but all that would come to redemption. We know that it's it's his desire that his Holy Spirit works in us, and we walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. We know it's his desire that we know the will of God and see the miraculous power of God. He says to the Ephesian church, I can do more than all that you can ask or imagine. But I'm not sure any of us would say it was God's earnest desire to eat this that he knew would be symbolic of his death, his body, his blood before his suffering. But he says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I won't eat it again. I'm not going to eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Here's this little phrase we've been studying on Sunday mornings. He took the cup, verse 17. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Uh, in this passage here, we've got, some, we've got some things, if we understand the sequence of them, if we understand the, the chronology of them, they, they kind of make sense to us. First of all, uh, Jesus and the, the apostles were observing the Passover. It was a commandment given by Moses that the Jews would observe the Passover annually every year to remember what God had done for them. The, the Passover was the commemoration of the 10th plague that came upon the stubborn will of Pharaoh in Egypt when the Jews were enslaved there by him. After nine plagues, he he'd said he wasn't going to let them go. And so Jesus said he would send the 10th plague, and the 10th plague was the death angel. And the Lord said that he, he would take every firstborn male of every household unless... That household took a lamb, a, a year-old lamb, without spot or blemish. They killed that lamb. They would eat that lamb for the Passover meal. But they would take that blood and they would put it on the doorpost, on the right and on the left and just here at the top. And the Lord said that when the death angel came that night, whenever he would come to a home where the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost, that that angel would pass over that house. It's a beautiful picture. The New Testament writers explain this for us. We don't have to come up with this interpretation ourselves. You see, we are enslaved by sin. Like their slavery in Egypt, it's a picture of the slavery of sin. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that whoever sins is a slave to sin. But Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, shed his blood so that the consequences of our sin, the wages of sin is death, would pass over us who had trusted Jesus Christ to make that payment for us. So Jesus knows this. The disciples are going to understand it in the days to come. But then Jesus does something else with this meal. In effect, what Jesus does right here, what we've read in Luke 22, is he, he really ends the commemoration of, of Passover, and he begins a, a new commemoration, a, 
another kind of meal, and he begins to give it new meaning. He says of the bread, this is my body broken for you. He says of the cup, this is my blood that's given for you. And, and he reminds us that this will be symbolic. He calls it here his suffering. It's what Jesus called it often. It was his death and burial. He went to the cross for us. It was a, it was a crucifixion, but it wasn't the, the torture, there wasn't the physicality of that torture that caused Jesus to suffer. It was that he, he took on the sins of the whole world. That was his suffering. That was his passion that he would do that for us. And so he gives it a new meaning. And he tells us that we are to remember him. And so 2,000 years later, we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ, the body of Christ, to remember his body that was broken for us, to remember his blood that was shed for us. And we continue this. But twice in this passage, it appears in Matthew, it appears in Mark as well, but twice in this passage in Luke, he talks about the fact that while he wants us to partake of this, he himself is not going to partake of this until the kingdom comes. The first time he says it, he says it of the bread, verse 16. I tell you, I'm not going to eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he says in verse 18, I tell you that from now on I won't drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And, and so Jesus does this, he does this remarkable thing for us right on the eve of his death, explaining it all to us. He's, he's explaining all of history to us and how the cross is the center of that history. The Passover was looking forward to the cross. This here is, is us looking backward to the cross. But for us it's it's present tense even as we look backwards. But this isn't the last messianic banquet that we will ever partake of. Some of you maybe with some Jewish friends or here at the church we've offered Passover so you can learn the meaning of that. Partaking of Passover. Today we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. But even as Jesus ended the Passover and he instituted the Lord's Supper, there's going to be a time when he ends the Lord's Supper and he institutes a new banquet, a new feast. It's called in Scripture the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And when he returns, he teaches us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount, thy will be done on earth like it is in heaven, thy kingdom come. He's talking about the time when Jesus returns. And when he returns and he gathers together all, all of the saints with him, then on that day we'll, we'll never partake of the Lord's Supper again. On that day, when the kingdom has come, we partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Why the marriage? Because God uses this analogy. He says the church is the bride. Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus isn't just the bridegroom. He's the king of the kingdom. You see, when he comes on that day, there, there, there won't be anybody on earth that will rival him. All, all, during, all during human history, people have 
tried to have great kingdoms. The, the Pharaoh that we just talked about tried to have a great kingdom. After him, Nebuchadnezzar tried to have a great kingdom. Alexander the Great tried to have a great kingdom. The various Caesars in Rome tried to have a great kingdom. Hitler tried to have a great kingdom. Stalin tried to have a great kingdom. People have tried this. But, but earthly dictators, earthly empires were, were built by really egomaniacal people who wanted people to worship them and remember them, and they were but human. The kingdom of God comes with love and joy, peace. It comes in the perfection of no more sin. And it comes with the king of love, Jesus. And when he comes on that day, no one, no one will have their own empire beside Jesus. Putin won't be in Russia. Trump won't be in America. Netanyahu won't be in Israel. It'll just be King Jesus. And he wants us, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, to remember that. Something I said last Sunday I want to repeat again this morning. Sometimes with Christians, we talk about the empty tomb like it's the end all. The empty tomb is the pinnacle of everything that we believe but it's not the end of everything that we believe. The empty tomb is a symbol. What's it a symbol of? It's a symbol that this King Jesus has power, power over death, power over sin, power over hell, power over Satan. How do we know that? Because the tomb is empty. But the empty tomb reminds us that that king, with all that divine power, is coming again to fulfill his kingdom. I meet so many Christians that are so defeated. And they, they've given their life to Christ. They think they're going to go to heaven when they die. But they don't have any power here on earth. They, they don't believe that the, that the God who said, let there be light, and there was light just like that, still has power in their lives. And the empty tomb is the reminder of his power and that he's coming again. How can he come again? Because he's alive. That's how he can come. And so you and I are right here partaking of the Lord's Supper. We're at a certain place in history. We're at a place in history where we have this, this chance to look back. We can look all the way back to Moses and the Passover. We can look back to the cross of Christ. We will do that in just a few moments as we take the bread and remember his broken body as we take the cup and remember his blood shed for us. But at the same moment, through the empty tomb, we look all the way to the coming king. He comes back as king of kings and lord of lords. Scripture says the father gives all power into his hands. He will rule. And then when he does, we will no longer be on a on a planet with sin and sickness and cancer and crime, sex trafficking and wars and rumors of wars, we won't be on that world anymore. We'll have an existence of love and joy, of perfection, perfect intimacy with the Father. How is it that we have that? Because Jesus took our sins. Because he went to the cross. Because he died for our sins. And you say, how do you know? because the tomb is empty. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Just a few moments now, we're going to turn our attention.
to the Lord's table, and we're going to receive the Lord's Supper as Jesus gave us instruction to. As we do that, I I want you to know that this time together is really for believers. This This is for those of us who have given our lives to Christ, and we remember what he has done in our lives. So if you're here and you're here with family and you're not really a believer, I, I, I want you to know that today you could give your life to Christ. It's a simple thing, really. It's not about attending church or how many of the commandments you keep. You, you could never keep them all. You couldn't keep enough. But you can come to the cross of Christ and ask for the forgiveness of sins. You can ask that death to be the payment for your sins. And you can ask Jesus to come into your life and be your king. Be your Lord and Savior from this day forward. And the scripture says that if you do that, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Many of you, most of you in this room are believers already. Do you remember that day when you gave your, your life to Christ? Do you remember the change that he brought about in your life? Your sins were gone, all forgiven. You were washed clean. And now you are a son a daughter of the living God. And he changed all of that for you. As you reflect on that and and on how we should live in the days to come, we also reflect that he will return as king of kings. Father, we, we ask you in this moment to still our hearts and our minds We ask you to cause us to focus on the cross, to remember what Jesus did for us, to remember that day when we gave our lives to you. Father, to realize that our sins really are forgiven farther than the east is from the west. And to acknowledge that because of what you've done for us, we have everlasting life. And for anyone who thinks that our faith is misplaced, we have an empty tomb to point to. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for the empty tomb. And we thank you that you are the king coming again. Father, we we pause to worship you in these next few moments. Speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and he he knew he would be betrayed. He knew that he would go to the cross. In fact, uh, John 13 says that Jesus knew that God the Father had given him authority over all things. On that night, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, "This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." The Apostle Paul when he was writing the Corinthian church about the Lord's Supper He said, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And then the Apostle Paul used an interesting phrase. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. How could he come if he died? Because he is risen. The faith tradition of my growing up did not include Good Friday services. I'm so glad that we have them. It seems right and fitting. 
that as brothers and sisters in Christ, bought by the blood of the Lamb, that we should gather together this day for worship and remember all that God's done for us. And as we think about this Friday in his death, in the words of that great black preacher sermon, it is Friday, but Sunday's coming. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.